Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we spend a few moments looking into your word again this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we don't want to hear from the pastor. We want to hear from you and from you alone, each one of us. So speak, for we, your children, are listening. And we're eager to hear from you. We thank you because you have sent your spirit who has promised to speak to us and to teach us and to train us in the way you want us to be. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen. You know those job interviews that you sometimes have to go to? One of the worst questions that people ask you, I always found, is describe yourself. You know that? Well, why don't you do that to the person near to you? Remember, if you imagine you're at a job interview right now, and they said, David, can you describe yourself to me? What would you say about yourself? Go on, do that to the person sitting next to you or near to you. Just describe yourself to them. You're in church, remember, so it's got to be honest, alright? None of this. Alright? I didn't say describe the other person either, I said describe yourself, alright? Okay, have you run out of good things to say about yourself? No. I bet you one of the things that you wouldn't say is this. You wouldn't say, like, what, what did you say? What kind of superlatives did you use about yourself? You're in church and we'll see if we all agree. What did you say about yourself? I'm kind. Kind. His mum's not worth saying a word. Good friend. You're a good friend? Um, I think I'm, I like meeting people. You like meeting people? Yeah. Okay. Easy going. Easy going. We all said easy going. All said easy going. They got a collective going on here. They're just. <laughs> oh dear. No, I don't think that was one. What did you say about yourself? In pain. In pain. In agony. Because you've got a sore back. At the moment. All these things we say about ourselves. I, I bet you if you were in an interview, one of the things you wouldn't say is that I'm meek. Would you? Tim said he's meek. He knows where I'm going, that's why. It was there the early service. You don't say, why? What do we mean by meek? When you say I'm meek. Sorry? Humble. Yeah. What else? Downtrodden. Downtrodden. Timid, weak, open to new ideas. Open to new ideas. 
Think what, that's what meekness people say when you're meek? Well, I may not get the job, mate. You might not get the job, mind you. <laughs> but I, we tend to think of meekness. If you look under the dictionary definition of meekness, this is what it says. Timid, weak, tame, unambitious, spiritless, broken, and my personal favourite, wimpish. <laughs> You wouldn't say, would you, I am meek. Good looking, debonair, all these other things, but not meek. And yet, if you look in your Bibles, as we've been going through these characteristics of Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Now, Jesus is obviously not saying, blessed are the timid, weak, tame, unambitious, spiritless, broken and wimpish. And the people of Jesus' day, I'm sure, didn't really understand what he was saying. Just think about the context where Jesus is. Here he is. The people of Israel are suppressed by the Romans. They want to kick the Romans out. And they're looking to Jesus to be the one, maybe he's the one that's going to lead us, unite us, get us together so that we can finally get rid of these Romans, all these soldiers, all these armies, this oppression that's come upon us. And here he is saying, you know what you've got to be like? You've got to be meek. Now how many leaders of great armies have been meek people? None. You don't look at, uh, at the great leaders of the world and say they were meek wimpish kind of people. And yet Jesus is saying here, blessed are those, the kind of characteristics you need are meek. And they must have gone, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What does it mean to be meek? I had a wonderful story about a, a little girl. She was listening intently to the, to the sermon, as you all are. I hope. And afterwards she said, Mom, she said there was a couple of things I didn't understand about what that guy was saying. And she said, yeah, well, what was it? Well, that, the preacher guy, he said that God is so big that he can hold the whole world in his hands. Is that true? And Mum went, yeah, God is big. And then she said, but then he said that God lives inside each one of us. Is that true? And her mum went, yeah. And she said, well if God is so big that he's got the world in his hands and he's living inside of us, wouldn't he show a bit? And that's what Jesus is doing in these Beatitudes. He's showing us the characteristics of himself that need to be shown in our lives. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And the one we're looking at today, blessed are the meek. Now what did Jesus mean by that? Well turn back in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 12. Because he obviously didn't mean blessed are the wimpish kind of people of this world. For theirs is the kingdom of earth. Or the inheritance is the the earth. Turn back to Numbers chapter 12 verse 3. It's describing Moses here, and it says, Now Moses was a very humble man, 
Actually, in the Hebrew, it's meek, is the word they use. Moses was a very weak, uh, meek man. He's more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. So if you want to know what a definition of meekness is, look at Moses. Now, was Moses wimpish? No. No. He was so wimpish that he got really upset when he saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, and so he went and killed the guy. That's how wimpish he was. He was so wimpish that he led the whole people of Israel out of Egypt, over the sea, through all these miracles that were performed through him into the promised land or to the very edge of the promised land. Moses was not a kind of unambitious, timid, weak, tame, spiritless, broken kind of guy. And not only that, but if you flip over to Galatians, Galatians 5.23, that describes the fruits of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. In our NIVs it says gentleness, but the Greek is meekness. You see, we have trouble in, in today's language trying to describe what we're talking about when we talk about biblical meekness. Because the word has changed in our context But here, the Spirit of God, it says, gives us that meekness. It's one of the fruits that the Spirit brings to each of us. And if you turn back to Matthew 11, 29, it even talks about Jesus being meek. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says he's meek. Do you think he was broken and wimpish? Certainly not. And he says I'm going to encourage you to become meek too. So what does he mean? What is he saying to us that meekness really is? The easiest way to describe biblical meekness is this. Arabian horses go through a really rigorous training in the deserts of the Middle East. And the trainers, before they will release those horses to somewhere else, require them to be absolutely obedient. Once they finish the training, they are put through one last test. And the test is this, they are starved of food and water for a number of days until the horses are just famished. And then they will lead them out and they will let them loose in a field and at the end of this field there is either a river or a a trough full of water. And the horses, as soon as they're led out into the field, quite naturally start galloping or walking as fast as they can towards that trough. And at the moment they're about to drink, the trainer will blow a whistle. And they know when that whistle is blown that those horses need to come and go back to where the trainer is. And they will stop 
And just as they are looking into the water, they'll hear that whistle. And they will turn and they will walk back across the field to where the trainer is. They will stand there quivering with thirst. But until they come back, he won't let them go drink. You see, meekness is just that. It's power under control. Blessed are the meek. Those who have power under control, for they will inherit the earth. It's that power of a horse that is, that is so moulded that it's controlled by that trainer. So they will do whatever the trainer asks. Now think about that for a moment. Power under control. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. And we're going to look at this passage to kind of try and understand what that really means for you and for me. John 14. This is Jesus talking to his disciples in the upper room just before he goes out into Gethsemane and then to the cross. He says this to them, picking it up in verse 11. He said, believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live." On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and the Father and that you are in me as I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas not Judas Iscariot said but Lord why do you intend to show your why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied if anyone loves me he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. First thing is that meekness is power. Jesus says here, believe in me, verse 11, when I say I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Jesus said to his followers and says to us that we will do even greater things than Jesus. Now what did Jesus do? How do we see Jesus' power at work in his life and in the ministry? Well, he healed the sick. 
He cast out demons. He preached good news. He revealed the scriptures to people. He gave those who were downtrodden hope. He broke every kind of barrier that there was in their culture about the people who were so-called the in crowd and those who were on the outsides. He showed people how to live. And he prepared people for the kingdom of God. And he pointed them towards his Father. And Jesus said, you will do even greater things than all of that. Now the question is, do you believe that? That's the question. Do you believe that you have within you the power of God that can heal the sick? That can raise the dead? That can preach the good news of the kingdom? Even though perhaps you've not been to Bible school and this, that and the other. Do you believe it? I don't hear him very much. Do you? That's the question. Because Jesus believes that in you and in me. He said, I'm going to give it to you. That's what he told his disciples. I'm going, but I'm not leaving you alone. I am giving you the same power, the same authority that he has. Is in you and in me. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because God has decided to give it to you and to me. And we need to get that in our heads and in our hearts, that that is what it's all about. We make so many excuses, don't we? You know what we do? First of all, we say, well, it's, it's not my gifting. You know? I haven't been given the gift of healing, therefore I can't, nothing's going to happen when I pray. Where, where does the Bible say that? Where does the Bible say that Peter and Paul and others were suddenly endowed with the gift of healing? They just went out and when God told them to do something, they did it. God can use, wants to use you and me to accomplish his kingdom's work. There are certain gifts that he gives to certain people, true. But that doesn't negate the rest of us who don't necessarily feel like we've got those gifts from not doing the ministry that he's calling us to do. If God tells you to do something, go do it. Don't sit there and say, well, I haven't got a gift of that. That's not my, I'll give that to somebody else to do. They're much better. No, he wants to use you and me. You think about Peter. He's a fisherman. He's gifted, he's not that gifted in fishing really, was it? The only times we ever see him, he's never caught anything. Wasn't a great success in the fishing business, but anyway, he's a fisherman. But God says, uh-uh, you're going to go and you're going to preach and 3,000 people are going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ that day. He's going, well, I haven't been trained in that. I've not been to Bible school. Well, you're going to pray for these people and they're going to get well. You're going you're to go walking along one day and there'll be somebody begging and you'll say, I haven't got any money to give you, but hey, get up and walk. Come with me. Let's go worship. And I'm just going to give you the power of God that is at your disposal will just flow through you. And Jesus is saying that to you and to me. And we need to understand that and we need to believe that in our lives. And stop making excuses. Jesus said, 
you don't even realize the kind of power at your poten- uh, the potential power at your disposal Matthew 26 he's there and he says to Peter because Peter's still thinking in the natural and so he's still trying to defend Jesus in Gethsemane and Jesus said put the sword away do you not know that I could call 12 legions of angels one angel wiped out 156,000 Assyrians you imagine what the damage 12 legions of angels that's a mighty firepower even President Obama might be slightly concerned about that you know that's serious stuff he said, I can just call that like that. I'm not going to, but I could. Put the little sword away. He said, if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds that you can hardly even see in your hand, you say to a mountain, get up, throw itself into the ocean, it'll do it. That's the kind of power that you have in you. And we need to start living that and believing that and understanding that. But that is what God has given to you and to me. We'll see the church transformed when we really start believing in that kind of level of power that he's given to each of us. It's power that he's given us. It's power at the disposal of you and me. You know, so often we try and bring God down to our level, don't we? We say, Lord, I'm going to believe you, but I can only believe you this much because that's all I can handle. So we bring God and we try and put him in a box. We form committees about how God's going to work and how he's not going to work. And, and try and manage God. Instead, what we should be doing is just opening ourselves up to God's level. You see, every time in the Bible where somebody goes to meet with God face to face, what happens? They go there and they're suddenly captivated and in awe of everything that who God is. Their vision is suddenly exploded. Job. God turns up. Why am Sir Job? He says, Oh my goodness me, I didn't realise what I'm dealing with. Habakkuk says his knees start to wobble and shake. You know? John says in Revelation. He's taken up there. He falls on the flat on his face and says, Oh my goodness, I've had it. Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. Woe to me. I'm in trouble. Everybody who sees God recognizes the kind of potential, the power that is there in God. The power that created the universe. The power that transforms lives. The power that comes down and is in us. And how do we know it's in us? Look at John 14:23. He says, "If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him." Now, what's the difference between a house and a home? Well, I stayed in a hotel last week for one night. Every hotel room is exactly the same, isn't it? Pretty much. It's got a bed. It's got a shower. If it's fancy, it's got a little, uh, a little fridge there with nothing that you can afford to buy. Right? So you open it to see what's in there and you think, Mars bar for £3.50? You've got to be kidding me, I'm not going any further. And you put it away again, don't you? But it's, what is it? It's bland. It could be anywhere in the world. It's the same. 
It's not the same as a home, is it? Now, what's a home? A home is a room, but it's a room that has your character in it. My home has my character and my wife's character in it. We've got pictures that are special to us of different places where we've been or pictures that we like or pictures that, you know. It's got the way it's set up, the colour schemes, all these kind of things. It shows you, you know, when you come to our house, our home, it shows you a little bit about who we are. You can tell something of who I am by the house around, by the the home that's there, by what we have hanging on the walls, the books in the bookshelves, and so on. The CDs and the kind of music that you listen to, how big your TV screen is, says something about who you are and the importance that you place on entertainment, doesn't it? You've got a little room and a TV that's bigger than your wall, it says something. You know, and you have to sit in the corridor to see it, because it's too big, you know. Or you've got a tiny little television set, or no television set at all. That says something about who you are. And Jesus says, not that he or the Spirit, but that we, Father, Son and Spirit, will come and make our home in you. So that the character of God will infuse who you are. That he is there, inside of you, if you're a believer. That the character of God, that the presence of God, God himself is living in you. That is how we know that we have that power at our disposal. It's not that we're tapping into something, it's already in there. Because God is in there. He's living inside of you, if you love him. 2 Timothy 1.7 talks about the power of God being at work in us. Philippians 3.21, the power of God is in there transforming us. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that you are a temple of the Spirit of God? Because we have the very presence of God inside of us. Do you believe that you have that power in you? But it's not just power, it's power under control. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now what does that mean, in my name? Well that means that it's bound up by the character of Jesus. In his name means that it's in accordance with everything that Jesus would do. There used to be those wristbands that said WWJD. Don't know if anybody ever had one. What would Jesus do? In other words, the idea was that you'd go to a situation, you'd look at your wristband and you'd just think, what would Jesus do in this situation? Then how should I respond? And it's like being an ambassador, as the Bible calls us. When you're an ambassador for a country, what are you doing? You're representing that country, the characteristic of that country. You're there, and so when you speak, you're speaking on behalf of the country that you're representing. You're saying, your words count, they have weight of that country behind them. 
but they're also representing that country to the situation that you're in. And Paul talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. That we need to represent the name, the character of Jesus. And what does he say? Well, he says his character, his sole purpose is to glorify the Father. So he says, ask for anything and I'll do it, but it needs to be under the control of his name, within the character of God. So before you ask him, you need to think, is this bringing glory to the Father? If it's not, don't bother, because you're not going to have the power flowing through you. He's going to say, uh-uh. But if it's going to bring glory to the Father, then ask away, because that's what he wants to do. Is this going to bring glory to Jesus if, if what I'm asking for? Then ask. Because that's part of the control of that power. That it's under his name. The second thing is, look in verse 21. He says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Whoever has my commands. The second thing is, we need to know the commands of Jesus. We need to know his word. What are the commands of Jesus? What is he telling you? Well, unless you read the word of God, unless you know the word of God, how are you going to know the commands of Jesus? How are you going to know the character of Jesus, the character of God? How are you going to know whether it's pleasing to the Father or not? We need to learn and study and memorize His Word. And the more we know His Word, the more we allow His Word to become part of who we are, the more we will be transformed to be in keeping with the heart of Jesus Christ. And the more we'll see that power at work. But we need to learn. We need to study. When there is opportunity to get together and study his word, take it. Because then you will see more and more of that power of God at work in your life. As you study his word. Understand what he's asking of you. And the third thing is, in verse 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. I heard about a pastor, he was on a diet, he felt convicted to lose some weight. And so, he was on this diet, but the problem was he was tired after morning service and as he drove home he always used to drive by a donut shop. And so he said, Lord, I know I, I need to lose a little bit of weight, but Lord, he said, if, I just, I'm just hungry, I just fancy a donut. But he said, Lord, I'll make a deal. He said, Lord, if there are no parking spaces available outside the donut shop, then I'll know that you don't want me to have a donut and I'll go straight home. But if there's a parking spot, then I'll know that you won't mind. After eight times round the block, he found the parking spot and he went in. But isn't that so much like us? We know his words. But unless we put it into practice in our lives, it's like just driving around the donut shop, waiting to get my way. I I know what he wants me to do. I know when he asks me to go and do it, but we are, Lord, I'm so, oh, you know, I've got other things, Lord, I'm busy. 
Yeah, maybe sometime. Just not now. It's about being obedient, he says. You can know it all you like, but it's only when you apply it in your life. You know, in a moment we're going to have the covenant. This is a Methodist uh, sort of uh, service that we do every year, part of our Methodist tradition. Let's go back centuries. And the covenant, we make a, a promise to God. And we're going to invite all of the people here to do this. We say this, I am no longer my own, but yours. Your will, not mine, be done in all things. Wherever you may place me, in all that I do and in all that I may endure, when there is work for me and when there is none, when I am troubled and when I am at peace, your will be done. When I am valued and when I am disregarded, when I find fulfillment and when it's lacking, when I have all things and when I have nothing. I willingly offer all I have and am to serve you as and where you choose. It's quite a prayer. It's why we do it every year. But what are you saying when you pray that? You're saying, God, I want to know more about you and I want to be obedient to whatever you ask me to do. I want to release that potential, that power of God that is in me out into the world for your glory and for yours alone that's why Jesus said blessed are the weak are the meek for they will inherit the earth inherit the earth how well now through the peace of god it's based this uh, the blessed are the meek on psalm 37 verse 11 but he says blessed are the meek and we will have that peace of God, which is the, the context of Psalm 37. That peace of God now. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul says, I've learned to be content in any circumstance. But we will also inherit the earth in Revelation 21 at the end. The new heaven and the new earth. And it's about being part of God's transforming work here and now. Until that moment when he returns. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. In November we're going to start a new series of gathering together and learning together. There will be more details coming out in a little while. And we're going to use a video series. And on one of the videos it uh, talks about the church. And there's this guy in Australia uh, called, what's his name? Josie Chaco, his name is. He's from northern India originally. And he moved to Australia. And I'm not going to tell you his whole story. But he tells there, he, he was in Australia, he's married to an Australian, but they went on their honeymoon back to India because his wife wanted to see the Taj Mahal. And so they went back to northern India. And when they went to the Taj Mahal, they were going on the train up, up towards it. And there was this young boy who was sweeping the carriages. And he got into conversation with this young boy. And found out that this boy lived on the streets, had no family at all. 
And so they asked him, he asked this boy whether he would show them around India so that they could see the real side of India. And they, basically the boy agreed. He then told his wife that they were having a, this child was coming on the honeymoon with them. And uh, so they went and they saw, and what he saw, the poverty and, and uh, the lack of people who had heard about Jesus Christ really touched him. And when he went back to Australia, the Lord said, I want you to go and do something about it. So he set up a charity. Well, first he applied uh, to loads of charities, loads of uh, church, Christian charities, and nobody would accept him. Perhaps he said he was meek, I don't know. So he ended up setting up his own charity. And the vision for his charity is this, it's quite simple. The vision is that he believes God is going to transform 100,000 communities in northern India by 2030. 100,000. That's a pretty small little vision really, isn't it? He said, I'm going to plant 100,000 churches in each of these communities and build schools. And just the power of God will transform them. As part of this, he set up uh, training schools. Because what happened was that God started to work. People started to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Churches started to be built. At the moment, there are 12 to 13 new churches every single week being planted. There are new believers every five minutes, I think it is, coming into those churches. There was this guy, he tells the story about this one guy, who came down from his village to the training school and said, I want to be trained so that I can go back and help spread the love of Jesus in my community. So they interviewed the guy and they found that he couldn't read or write. Completely illiterate. And they said, well you can't join the training program to become a pastor because you can't read and write. And so he said, well, can I then just sit in the classes, would that be okay? And he pleaded with them so much that the trainer finally said, yes, okay. So this guy sat in the class for a whole year of the training program, never missed a single class. At the end of it, when there was the graduation, they said to him, you can't graduate because you, you can't read and write. We, we can't give you the bicycle and all the equipment and stuff, I'm sorry. But, but we can't graduate you and send you back because you haven't, you know, you're not, part, you're not one of the proper students here. And the guy said, it's okay, would you just pray for me in the same way that you pray for all the other pastors? And so they agreed. He went back to his village, this guy, and there he started to work, and they heard nothing more about him. After six years, he got back in contact with him. He had planted 35 churches in six years. He had personally baptized 1,040 people. He had sent many other people from the villages all around, in those 35 villages around and communities down to be trained as pastors and it even started a school that had 198 children in it and they went and they said how did you do all this did God teach you to read and write he said no I still can't read a word and they said how do you do it he says I pray and I get my daughter to read the Bible to me 
and I memorize scripture. He says, when I preach, I preach whatever it is God tells me to preach. That's it. That is meekness. Somebody who believes in the power of God, but it's on God's terms, not his own. And he has transformed, been used by God to transform community after community just because he is willing. When we say those words this morning, what you are saying and what I am saying is exactly the same. God, take me and use me to transform me and the world around me. I asked you, do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe in the power of God in you? Not just in some illiterate guy in northern India, but in you today. Because Jesus believes in the power of God in you. And he wants you to believe it too. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord, power, your power, under control. That's what you want in each one of us. That is what will transform lives and communities and our city and our nation and our world. I wish, Lord, I was like that guy in northern India. In some ways I wish I couldn't read or write and I had to just rely on you. But I know that you're going to use all the gifts and abilities and the training that you have planted in me. All I need to do is release that. To throw myself as I say these words of the covenant onto you again. And say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Not because of my cleverness and education and position or anything. Just use me as your servant, as your child. Release the power of God that you have placed in me and in each one of us here if we love the Lord Jesus. Release it so that we may see it at work through us and through others. And so bring your kingdom to Harrow and to London and to the United Kingdom. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.